0: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: And I'll be happy to um, uh, tweet it out and stuff.
2: Absolutely. Welcome to the RoadWire Prospect Podcast. I'm your host James Anderson, and the MLB Draft is right around the corner. Starts Sunday, and I couldn't uh, think of anyone better to have on than Jim Callis from MLB Pipeline. I really appreciate you taking the time to join me, Jim. How you doing?
1: I'm doing good. Thanks for thanks for the kind words. It's uh, counting down, I guess, as we record this. We're what four day, a little less than four days away from the draft. So,
2: yeah, man, it's uh, it's got here in a hurry. Uh, do you think this is kind of here to stay, this doing it on the, the Sunday before All-Star break?
1: I, it's hard to say exactly, because I think the commissioner's office is very pleased with the idea of having it as part of the All-Star game. I don't think anybody in baseball really likes having it this late. Like It, it just it disrupts trying to watch guys for next year's draft. It disrupts your normal procedures for evaluating players to make trades before the deadline. Um, I ran into a general manager at the draft combine who told me that the general managers had voted 30 to nothing in favor of a June draft, having the draft back at some point in June. And uh, he said he couldn't remember the last time 30 GMs agreed on anything. (laughs) Um, But I just don't know if that's necessarily going to matter. Like if, if it was in June, I think we'd be talking more late June, because I don't think the combine's going anywhere, and the combine's going to be in mid-June, but I think everybody in baseball would be happier, or I should say everybody with the teams would be happier if the draft was over, say by the end of June.
2: Yeah, I mean it does seem like the hardest of the uh, three major sports in terms of when to schedule it, right? Because you have the the college season uh, wrapping up. During the minor leagues, in the middle of the minor league season, so the teams obviously want to get the guys out there. But um, yeah, I'd I'd prefer it to be in June as well. Um, but let's. Just... I think all the journalists would agree with that too. Yeah. Like 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 I think it would just because there's just there's so much crammed.
1: I mean it's it's a it's a very cool weekend in LA, but we've got the futures game. If you want to look ahead to next year, there's a high school All America game on Friday. There's a high school home run derby. There's the all-star game. There's the home run derby. There's 15 games going on Sunday afternoon before the draft. Like, there's just an awful lot going on. Um, like if, if it were me, if you, if, if I were in charge, I think what I would try to do is, you know, and assuming, okay, we're having the combine that's going to stay. Is let's have the draft after the college world series ends. The college world series now is a, a Saturday, Sunday, Monday, three game finals. Let's have it Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Let's I, I know. The draft is on ESPN, so you couldn't necessarily have – I mean, I'm sorry, the College World Series is on ESPN, so you couldn't have the College World Series games on MLB Network. But what if MLB Network went there for the final weekend, did some shows from there, you know, pumped up the College World Series, led it into the draft? You'd have some players in the College World Series who wouldn't have to go anywhere. They'd be there for the draft. I think the fans of Omaha – have you ever been to the College World Series, James? I have not. Okay. It's a great If It's my favorite event. I cannot recommend highly enough, but if you actually wanted, like I think you would get fans in Omaha who care enough about amateur baseball, who would go to the draft and be excited. I, I think you would have a really good crowd there. Um, so that, that would be my idea, but I don't, I, I don't know that it's necessarily going to shift away from the all-star game anytime soon.
2: No, that's a great idea. I think that, uh, you're right on the money there putting it somewhere where you already have those fans, uh, out there. Um, So, you know, the, the guy that you guys have at the top of the MLB pipeline draft rankings is Drew Jones. I think he's, he's at the top of pretty much every rankings I've seen. Uh, Can you make a case for anyone other than Drew Jones or is he in a tier by himself at the top?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you, you can like, he's, I think the consensus number one guy. And I mean, (laughs) I'm not the biggest fan of comps, but I, I use comps when I get them. I don't like to force comps, but like. He reminds everybody of his dad. I mean, he's that good. Uh, well, I shouldn't say he's that good defensively because his dad might be the greatest center fielder of all time. But if you told me that Drew Jones won 10 gold gloves like his dad did, he's he's equipped. He can run. He has great instincts. He's got a great arm. Um, he's an advanced hitter for his age. He's got some power. Um, so it's a pretty good. pet. He's the number one guy, but this isn't like a Bryce Harper, Steven Strasburg, Adley Rutschman situation where it's, even though he's good number one, it's not like he's head and shoulders above everybody. You got to take him. Now I, I, I would take him number one, if, if it were me, Michael Elias has not asked me, but I would take him number one. Although as your listeners or a lot of them probably know, like you have this bonus pool system in baseball, which, you know, if you go over your bonus pool by more than 5% in the first 10 rounds, you lose future first round picks and nobody's ever going to do that. Nobody has. So you're kind of locked into what you can spend. So then it becomes a, a game of, if drew Jones is going to cost me X and there's other guys that I think are, are very close to him who might cost me a million or a million and a half less. Do I want to go that route and spend more on later players? Like I, I think you can make a case. If you were making a case not to take drew Jones on ability, you could say, well, maybe I prefer an infielder and Jackson holiday is a potential five tool shortstop. So I think you can make a case. For Jackson holiday. I, I would still take Drew Jones. You can make a case, I, I wouldn't do this, either. I, I wouldn't take Elijah Green, but you could make a case that Elijah Green has the highest ceiling in the draft. Now, he has the loudest tools. He also comes with more swing and miss concerns than the other top guys, but you could make that case. And I think you could make a case if you were a more conservative drafter and you wanted to have more certainty or less risk, Tamar Johnson is probably. The best high school hitter anybody can remember in a long time. Like I have trouble saying since who because I have trouble coming up with who the last one was. I mean, he may be in terms of pure hitting ability, the best high school hitter since like Ken Griffey Jr. Like way way back when in 1987. He's he's that. Like, he, it's ridiculous. I mean, I, I had one scout say he reminded him of of Wade Boggs's plate discipline and Vladimir Guerrero Sr.'s plate coverage. Like. He it, it's really ridiculous. Now he he might only be a second baseman, but then again he might be Robinson Cano, so which would be pretty good player. So I think you could make cases, like you could make non nonsensical arguments for those guys. I still, if we're just talking about talent and not factoring in exactly what the price tag is going to be, I, I would still come back to Drew Jones every time.
2: Is there is there enough data out there in your opinion to to kind of put those types of comparisons and those kind of comps on Johnson? Uh, (laughs) Well, I mean, you have to take comps for what they're worth. I mean, like, like it's funny because I think sometimes people
1: read comps and they read like, this is a literal exact comp, like, like, I mean, I mean, obviously no, because we're talking about two hall of famers who did what they did in the big leagues for how many years Wade Boggs and Vlad Sr. played together. And Termar Johnson has played on the high school showcase circuit. And right now he's playing in a college league as a graduate high school senior, like a second tier college league, the Suncoast League. So, so, I mean, no, like there's not enough data. Like, I mean, with any of these comps that anybody throws on any of these amateur players, if you want (laughs) like legitimate, you know, statistical basis for that, no, I, the, the, the thing is, I actually don't love comps, but I, I lo- like that one. I was just like, wow, that's like an incredible thing to say. But like comps were basically, I think, started to be used back, way back when, when we didn't all have the Internet and video on our phones and track man data and all this stuff. And you were trying to paint a report when you're off filing reports from the middle of Oklahoma as to what this guy physically looked like. So you'd say, oh, he looks like Johnny Padres, you know, or or whoever. He looks like Wally Moon. And now I don't know that the comps really matter as much because I don't none of nobody like as fans I I can pull video up on my phone. I can go to YouTube and find video of all these guys doing things. So, you know, the team the teams have, you know, all kinds of video archived on these players. But but yeah, I I I realize it's ludicrous, but but the fans uh, love comps, James. You gotta give the fans some comps.
2: Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't trying to nitpick the but more just kind of, you know, with a prep hitter and the hit tool and the level of confidence you can have. Cause I mean, yeah, know, no, it's the
1: hardest thing to project. I think is hitting, especially for a high school hitter.
2: Right. Like Mickey Moniac, Jared Kalnick. Like there's a good one. No, and a fair point, like Mickey Moniac like I don't know how
1: many people admit it now, but people were putting seventies on Mickey. Now nobody would say Mickey Moniac was the best high school hitter in like 20 years or anything like that. But like Mickey Moniac, you know, 70 hitter, is guy, there were guys throwing 70s on the bat, which is really aggressive on a high school bat, and I don't know if all those guys would necessarily admit it now. And and yeah, I mean, I, I I still am baffled by Kelnick. I mean, best high school hitter in his class, good numbers in the minors, and he gets to the big leagues and he's striking out a ton. Like like so, yeah, it, it's it it is scary. And I and you know, you asked me who the best players in the draft, and I gave you four high school hitters there. That's that's what
2: kind of draft this one is. Well, I, for me, that's really exciting because, uh, the upside is, is there where you can really kind of dream on, on those top four guys. Uh, you mentioned Jackson holiday as a a potential five tool shortstop who hits from the left side, obviously has the the bloodlines. Um, I mean, what type of, you know, offensive output could you see him kind of developing into? And it sort of seems to me almost like he's kind of just scratching the surface, um, as he's kind of filled out, as he's kind of started getting to more power, um, you know, do you have anything to add there about Holiday? Yeah, no, I think that's that's very fair because I mean, his dad
1: was obviously a very physical player, and, and Jackson has made tremendous strides this spring, and I think he's continued to get more physical. and And what's really impressive about him is, like, we 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 put grades on all the players on our draft top two fifty. And when we do that based on, on industry consensus. It's not me with a stopwatch on every guy or anything. Like we try to do a good job on the grades, but at the same time, our grades are not the most precise grades. You know, from 30 years of scouting and and all you know, grizzled veterans and all that. Like like they're not the most perfect grades. But I can't ever remember taking a play. We did this with Jackson Hall this spring, where we increased his grade in every category: hit, power, run, arm, field. Like you know, there are guys who get better. Like. Not nearly so, but Gavin Lux was kind of like that, but still we didn't make Gavin Lux better in all five categories. And it's funny because so coming into the year, like Jackson didn't have a great summer last year on the showcase circuit. Like I I think the general consensus among people was good player, maybe a little more famous than he should be based on the summer he had. He was trying to hit a lot of home runs and chase too much and, and had some swing and miss issues and and I and I think, you know, if people are being honest, they tell you they thought he was a second-round pick. That that was a consensus in the industry. He was a second-round pick coming into the year. And that's not the consensus anymore. Like, he's gotten bigger, stronger. He's throwing better. It used to be like, can he stay at shortstop? Now nobody – I wouldn't say he's winning a gold glove, but nobody's questioning as he's staying at shortstop. He's, he's looks much better at the plate. You know, granted, you know, it's against high school competition, not showcase competition, but he's – He's looked tremendous. Um, and like you kind of, you know, hinted at there, I, I think he could continue to develop physically too.
2: So I listened to your uh, most recent podcast with uh, Jonathan Mayo. And so I, I think I might know where you might go with this question, but uh, on the DraftKings book. Uh, oh, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I'll i just caution you
1: here. Like, I'm not, uh, our MLB, MLB's gambling policy. I'm not supposed to offer expert wagering advice. So let's, well, I'll be careful here. Go ahead.
2: Okay. Uh, <laughs> don't listen to this one, but, um, Drew Jones is minus 190 to be the number one pick. Holiday is plus 400, and Tamar Johnson is plus 500. You know what's interesting, though? Like, somebody sent me.
1: We may or may not have had some internal discussion. Keith Law came out with a mock where he had Brooks Lee going number one. And somebody sent me odds where all of a sudden Brooks Lee was like the number two favorite to go number one. So I don't know if the odds have shifted. What do you have like like Brooks Lee was ahead of Holiday and Termar Johnson. And my comment was it's crazy because this isn't the NFL draft or NBA draft where you have all this – you know, all these people covering it with, with a lot of knowledge and talking to people. And I, I I jokingly suggest is like, I could just make something up and say, Hey, I think Carl, I think Justin Crawford's going number one. And it would probably affect the odds. I, I, I would never do this, but I was saying like, like if I wanted to bet on a guy, which I cannot do working for MLB, if I want to bet on a guy, I could just come out with a mock and bury the guy, like have him go 10th in the first round and drive his odds out. Like, I, I think, like, it's amazing to me that, like, odds are that reactive to whoever's latest mock came out. But anyway, I interrupted you because we were having an interesting discussion about this earlier today.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I, I actually, I, I uh, don't have the page up anymore, but, I mean, the, when I checked, you know, an hour ago on DraftKings, it was the top three were, uh, were Jones, Holiday, Termar Johnson. I didn't see any up on FanDuel. I don't know if they had him and took him down. But Somebody had Brooks Lee as, like, the number two guy earlier today.
1: Because okay. And I think because Keith had ranked him, had him going to the Orioles in his latest mod. But yeah, I, I will say, to steer away from straight gambling discussion, on our podcast you listen to, I pointed out the Orioles, and Michael Eyes did this with the Astros too, th- there's no upside for the Orioles to tell people who they're picking. Like right. a lot of times the team picking one will tell the team two, and you, you'll get a sense of it. But they're essentially, they've narrowed it down to five guys. I really think it's more like three. And they're going to take those guys right up to the time where it's time to make the pick to see how what how little they could sign each of those guys for, and then they'll make a decision, okay, based on talent and price tag, this is the best value. Like so on our podcast, I said, I'm I'm just torn between Drew Jones and termar Johnson. I went 33% Drew Jones, 33% Termar Johnson, 30% Jackson Holiday, and I went four percent Brooks Lee. So it's tough. And like I, you know, I, I I do I just don't seem him taking Brooks Lee. Because I think his profile and Termar Johnson's profiles are very, very similar. And I think Termar Johnson is going to cost less. So if you have two guys who are very similar talents and you know, project it probably the same position and the same profile. I'm taking the guys cheaper if I think they're the same guy or, or close to the same guy. So that's why I don't think it's Brooks Lee, but any of the other three, you can take the best guy, Drew Jones. I think Termar Johnson would cost the least to that group. And I think Jackson Holiday is a little bit of a compromise with both. He's not going to maybe not quite cost quite as much as Drew Jones, but um, he's also a very, very talented player.
2: So in your, I think in your mock, uh, might have been last week uh you mentioned that elijah green has kind of been sliding a little bit and then you mentioned earlier uh just about teams being a little iffy on the the swing and miss um you guys have him ranked third i mean the tools like you said are incredibly loud the upsides uh really obvious is this just an an instance of teams maybe being just risk averse and not wanting to really mess up a, a top five pick or is it about the teams that are picking in the top five or, or why why do you think that is the green is, is sort of sliding out of that?
1: Discussion. Yeah, and it's like it's more like he might slide because again, it's tough because we really don't know what the Orioles are doing. Like if we knew what the Orioles are doing, we could kind of figure out, have a better idea what this top five was going to look like exactly and we, we actually talked about that in our podcast with four different guys going number one, what the rest of the picks would look like. I th- With Elijah, the, the thing that helps him is he plays at IG Academy and they play a good schedule. They play better schedule. They face better pitchers. They face Brandon Barriera, who's a first round talent, than most guys are going to face in high school. Like I am in Illinois. Like if you're up here playing high school ball, you might face a couple guys all spring who are throwing eighty miles an hour. So if if you had worries about my bat the previous summer, I'm not going to do anything playing for New Trier High School. That's probably going to change your mind. But Elijah faced good pitching at times this spring at IMG and he was better. He made some improvements. so I think there's less concern and I think it's not so much it's more just the way the draft works. Like it sounds like the pirates at number four are going to do what they did at number one last year and take a good player, but they're also looking for a discount. They're not going to pay full freight at four. They want to save money. They can spend later in the draft. And you know, last year we saw, the teams at five, at one, counting the Pirates, one, five, seven, eight, and nine all did discount deals. And that pushes guys down. You know, we saw Brady House go 11. We saw Khalil Watson go 16. You know, interestingly, neither one of them's having a very good year right now in, in the minor leagues. And so I, I don't think it's so much that, I mean, Elijah hasn't really done anything to hurt himself. I don't even think it's that the team, like, I never thought Elijah Green was kind of the Orioles type of guy. You know, like, just they're... I just don't think they're going to take a a high school guy with some swing and miss risk. Um, I I think that the, you know, the Diamondbacks and the Rangers, you know, they'd be more apt to take him than the Orioles, but, but I think it's more case of, so I don't think he's going to the Orioles at one. I think the Diamondbacks, like everybody knows Diamondbacks love Drew Jones. So If he doesn't go one, I think Drew Jones goes two. if Jones goes one, I think it might just be Jackson holiday too. I think green could go three. it's like kind of him versus holiday versus Parada and and Brooks Lee, depending on who's available. I think he could go five and it's probably him versus the same guys at five for the nationals. But then I, I, I just don't hear him at six to the Marlins, seven to the Cubs, eight to the twins. Then you start talking nine to the Royals and then, and then it, you know, things can get weird too, because if there's a guy who people weren't expecting to get into the double digit picks, they may have already plotted out, we're taking this guy, and then we're going to spend this in the second round. All of a sudden, here's Elijah Green, and he might cost more, and you're making decisions on the fly a little bit. So I, 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 I'm not sure that he's sliding, but of those top four high school guys, if there was one of them who didn't go in the first eight picks, it could be him. You know, Termar's interesting, too. I think Termar could go one. I think he could go four on a deal to the Pirates. And then you know he could go six, seven, eight, but Termar, Termar could, could go eighth. Potentially. So I think there's the, the, the two guys who are, are pretty solid. I feel like Drew Jones is going one or two and I feel like Jackson holiday is going one, two or three. And then I think on any of these guys, you know, the college guys like Brooks Lee and Kevin Prada, whoever, you know, they have some homes up around five and then they have homes down closer to 10 too.
2: Do you get the sense that green's going to be more expensive than Tamar?
1: I think the like, it's weird because you don't hear that. We don't hear all the numbers. I feel th- like, I, I think the way I might put that is, I feel like it might be tougher to get a discount based on where you pick him. Or if he slides, he might have expectations of getting picked as if he were taken higher than Termar would, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I don't know their price tags, but I, th- I, I think it would be easier to cut a deal with TerMar, like I do think there's some thought that TerMar wants to go one-one, and that he might be a little bit more amenable to a deal to to make
2: that happen. Okay, uh, that makes sense. Um, I, you know, I, I'm gonna have Drew Jones ranked one uh, from this class for fantasy, and I'm I'm really tempted to put Green up at two because of the. The tools and I guess like are you where are you at sort of on how is the athleticism gonna age? Like how do you see the body uh kind of aging? You know, I mean he's just so big. I don't know if he reminds you of anyone. I mean he doesn't well, remind you right. of anyone of that same age. Well, I was gonna say, like, athletically, like again,
1: I mean, this is why bloodlines like I think do matter in baseball for a couple reasons. One, not that he doesn't have baseball bloodlines, but like the guys with baseball bloodlines, like a Jackson Holiday. Or, you know, like Drew Jones, I mean, these guys have been like taking reps in big league batting cages when they're six years old. And, and I do think so much of hitting is just repetition and getting at bats and, and, and you know, having a dad who knows what you're doing. And you're, you're around the big league ballpark and a hitting coach is messing around with you a little bit when he's got spare time. And, you know, like, I don't think it's any secret we see all these, you know, there's a ton of really good big leaguers whose dads played professional or major league baseball. But I would say from an athletic standpoint, you know, Elijah Green's dad was Eric Green who was kind of ahead of his time in a way is this like giant, but yet athletic tight end. There weren't too many tight ends built like Eric green back in the day when he was a two time pro Bowl tight end. And, and so I do feel pretty good about the athleticism, um, you know, aging well. Um, Yeah. You know, from a fantasy standpoint, it's interesting because again, I mean, that's what makes this stuff fun to talk about. Even when guys are just, you know, minor league prospects, not even draft, but like, yeah, I mean Elijah Green might be a thirty thirty guy. Um Termart Johnson's really gonna hit and I do think there's power in there. Like I think it's at least average power. Um but from a fantasy standpoint, I don't know that Termart's gonna steal you a lot of bases. Um and steals are always hard to find. Um you know, Jackson Holiday Jackson Holiday might be a thirty home run shortstop. Um I don't think he's gonna be a big stolen base guy either. But yeah, I mean if you if you factor in how hard it is to find steals, um and Elijah Green's a plus plus runner, um, and he can hit. I mean, he he has big time power. I think Elijah Green's got the, the most raw power in this draft too. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with going Elijah Green as the second best fantasy player. It just it's like anything. Like whether you're investing in the stocks, you're investing in fantasy baseball players. Um, sorry, I get my baseball phone ringing there in the background. Um, but uh, it's just you want like there's more risk. Involved with Elijah Green But he might have the biggest payoff of anybody So it's just, you know, how comfortable are you with that risk Termar Johnson, I feel like there's less risk Because, you know, even though we brought up Mickey Moniak and Jerry Kelnick, like, it's hard to imagine Termar Johnson not hitting um, But, you know, like So there, there's a little more safety there It's just kind of which way you want to you wanna go And then, you know, like I said, Jackson Holiday Might be a 30 home run shortstop And, and he can really hit, too, so um, there, There's a lot of ways you could go there You know, and if you want less risk, too, you could I'll always go the college route with a Brooks Lee or a Kevin Parada or a Jacob
2: Berry or or whoever. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really hard to kind of nitpick on those, those four prep guys. Um, let's, let's get to the, the college guys though. I mean, you mentioned Brooks Lee. Uh, he's the one of, of the kind of top college guys on your rankings on, on most rankings. He seems like the one that you can sort of bank on a little bit of a defensive utility. Whereas eh. Maybe I, I I like Brooks Lee. I I don't think a lot of guys necessarily think he's
1: going to be a shortstop at the big league level. Like well, you might be talking second base.
2: Sure. I, I guess I was sort of I meant kind of compared to uh, Jacob Berry or Jace Young. Um, I don't know. How yeah, I, that's fair. Kevin Pareda uh, behind, yep. the, but like if you were just looking at like Lee, Pareda, Berry, Young. Let's just like cut it off at those four. Is Lee's offensive? Um, output like above Those guys is, is it kind of the same tier As those guys
1: yeah I mean Like so I think to me the top Three college guys are Lee Parada and Barry depending on how you want To stack them up and you know From both a, a, a real life And a fancy talent standpoint Brooks Lee is probably the best pure hitter in college Baseball and I think there's going to be at least Average power I, I think it's We have Tamar Johnson A half grade better hitter than Brooks Lee and Brooks Lee's proven it at a higher level um, grew up around the game. His dad's a coach. He's got an uncle who's a first round pick. Um, you know, maybe he winds up at second, but like you feel better about him staying in the middle infield than say Jace young. Um, and so I, I feel like there's a high floor and also some ceiling there. You know, Barry's interesting because I feel like I like Barry a little bit more than the industry does just a little to me. I think it's the best combination of hitting ability Power and play discipline of any of the college guys in this year's draft. He crushed it at Arizona. He crushed it at LSU. He doesn't strike out. Now, I don't think he's a third baseman. He might be able to play the corner outfield. I think he's got a better chance to play the corner outfield that people give him credit for, but it's not a lot. And then he might be a first baseman. To his credit, and I would want my guy to say this, it kind of reminds me when Kyle Schwarber when wanted to catch. Like Barry, there's been interviews with us, with other people, where he said, I work on my defense. I'm going to work hard. I think I can play third base. I want to play third base. He doesn't buy that. He doesn't have a position. Like he wants to prove people wrong. And like, it's kind of refreshing in a way because like, like that, it seems like so much of it's like, what can you do with the plate? And a lot of guys don't work on some of that stuff. So we'll see. I mean, desire isn't, you know, you you still need to have the ability. So I'll call him an outfielder, but like, I really like the bat. And, but I will say like the data teams too, his exit view lows were, not as high compared to the other top guys, which was kind of puzzling. People still had a good year; still does a lot of damage. But the exit velos were kind of like, huh? Would have thought that would have been more than that. Um, Prada is a—he's an okay catcher. I think he catches well to stay behind the plate. His arm's not very good, but people don't run that much anyway. So you're, you're, he's going to stay behind the plate, and he, he's going to hit and hit for power. Now, you, I could see if I was lining these guys up for fantasy, I think. And just in terms of overall production, Brooks Lee's a safer bet. And I believe Jacob Berry's got more offensive ceiling. But when you factor in that Prada is going to be a catcher, I, I might put him ahead of those two guys for fantasy purposes, um, just because it's, it's hard to find catchers. And then Young was with those guys, I think, coming into the year. Young was probably ahead of Prada. It was probably more Lee, Young, Berry coming into the year in whatever order. And had another good year. He got pitched around a ton. He didn't try to do too much. But he also, like, he, he played hurt a lot. He was banged up. He was not running well. Even before that, I think there was some question, is he really going to stay at second? Like, I believe in the bat, and I believe in, in, in the batting eye and the power. I just, you know, he might want to be an outfielder in the long run. So I, I would kind of put him. The, the, the guy who's interesting, and he could go in the top ten picks, is Zach Neto from Campbell. You know, it's not a power conference, but Zach, you know, hit 402 this year at Campbell, played well in the Cape Cod League, can play short. Really good arm, you know, when he he pitches relief every once in a while and he's up to like 93, really controls the strike zone. You know, pretty decent power too. Um, so, like, if he's, you know, assuming he stays at shortstop and he produces like you think he can produce, and he's, he's going to probably go in the first, I don't know, 7 to 15 picks because of the positional value. Like, I don't think he gets talked up as much as the other guys. And then you also – Gavin Cross is the other college hitter who probably goes in that tier – He's an outfielder. He's pretty good. He was the best hitter on Team USA last year, the college team. And then Chase DeLauder, who's kind of like my personal favorite, but he never really played a complete season at James Madison because of COVID. And then they played a half season last year and then he got hurt this year. I really like his combination of athleticism and size and tools and really good plate discipline. He he looked he, he got eaten alive. They, they played Florida State, which has really good left-handers. He's a left-handed hitter. He got eaten alive in the first series of the year, and I think people hold that against him a little bit. But he was really good in the Cape Cod League last summer. And I, it's kind of weird because, like I said, he's never played a full season. He's got like three kind of 20- or 30-game chunks. But I think he might have the best all-around tools in the college class. So he's kind of in that second tier, like toward the end of that group. He's probably going in the 10- to 20 range. He's interesting, too.
2: Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean,
1: the the lotter is
2: huge, uh, and yeah. really good athlete too. Like, like he's
1: he's like six four, six five, but like run, throw, hit, power. Look at his strike at The walk numbers are, are tremendous. Um, yeah, he like I, I thought he coming into the year, I thought he was kind of my. I wasn't saying he was going to go number one, but he was my sleeper pick. Like this guy could work his way into that conversation, and then the Seminoles destroyed him the first week, which hurt him some. And then he broke his foot in April and, and missed the second half of the year. So, and, and you know, I, I know there's, there's this taste in some teams mind that the best pitching he saw all year ate him alive. Although you, you could argue, look, you know, pitchers are often ahead of hitters, you know, at the start of the season, whatever. Um, but yeah, it'll be
2: interesting to see where he goes,
1: but that's kind of, I, I think you got Lee Prada, Barry and that first tier college hitters
2: and those other four guys kind of on that second tier. With Neto and the Lauder, uh... The, the Cape Cod League uh, performance, obviously, is something that comes up. Uh, how good was the pitching that those guys were facing on the Cape?
1: Um, I think it's like as good a pitching as you're going to see in college baseball. I think more guys go there than they necessarily go to Team USA with Team USA playing a reduced schedule now. Um, you know, I mean, you could almost make the – you could like, I find myself asking that question about just guys this spring because so many of the top top arms got hurt that – you know, I, I went to Georgia, so I, I love the SEC. I believe the SEC is the best conference in college baseball. But you look at how many SEC teams had their best pitcher hurt, and it's like the SEC numbers aren't – like, it's hard for me to, like, reconcile. Like, what does that mean with Peyton Pellett hurt and Landon Sims hurt and Connor Prelip hurt and Blake Tidwell hurt and then inconsistent when he came back? Like, what do these numbers mean? Because, you know, and I could go on and on. You know, one, one guy I should have mentioned, and it's weird because I, I don't know if you want to count him as a high school guy because he's 17 – or was a college guy because he went to Chipola. But Cam Collier's super interesting, too. He's got bloodlines also. He's Luke Collier's son. But he kind of did what Bryce Harper did without as much publicity because he wasn't on the cover of Sports Illustrated or anything. He, he should have been a junior this year in high school. But he reclassified to the 2022 draft. But that wasn't enough. So he went to Chipola Junior College, which is as good as any junior college program in the country. He played pretty well there. But that wasn't enough. So he went to the Cape Cod League at age 17 which is, like, he's the youngest player since Robert Stock. Like, he's it's got to be, like, the second youngest guy in the Cape in, like, 50-something years. Um, and he's a really good hitter, too. Probably sticks at third base. Non-zero chance he has to maybe move to first or, or left field. But he can really, really hit, too. He, he'll go in those top ten picks somewhere. Um, and he, and he's pretty interesting, too. Like, like somebody said, you know, if he was an international guy, he'd probably be getting 3 or $4 million. I mean, he probably is going to get 3 or $4 million, in the draft as well. But it's, he just popped in my out when we were talking about the Cape Cod league. And I never know, like I, I think of him as a high school guy because he's 17 years old, but I guess technically he's a college guy because he went to Chipola.
2: Yeah. It's hard, <laughs> it's hard to think of the youngest player who's going to get taken on day one as a college guy. Uh, I was going to ask about him next. I mean, he's yeah. just with him being so young and having this, you know, such an interesting kind of path. uh you know are are you you guys are projecting like plus hit plus power on him down the road is that is it kind of yeah i think he's got that he's got that upside yeah yeah okay um do you think that's a path that we'll see more guys follow if if he goes you know top 10 and like or is it just that he was special enough to pull it off i think he was special i mean i mean i i really admire what he's done because it's like
1: pretty crazy. I mean, Bryce Harper was like a unicorn. I mean, you know, he went to like a Woodbat junior college league and hit 31 home runs and was just insane. And Bryce Harper's insane, but no, cause I mean, honestly, like, like you take some risk there. Like what if you went to Chipotle and didn't play well, then like, you either have to go back to Chipotle next year to be draft eligible, or he was a Louisville recruit. If you go to Louisville, you're not draft eligible for two years. And you know, I mean the easy play, and this is why I admire what he did and he did well. He's like, he could have just stayed in his Georgia high school and destroyed that competition. And everybody still would have been excited because a lot of teams really are into age on high school guys. And he would have been a 17 year old high school guy who, who should have been a junior, kind of like James Triantos last year with the Cubs who, who like I, I'm bullish on a lot of people are bullish on. He reclassified last year just because he wanted to go attend North Carolina early. He wasn't even thinking about the draft. And he blew up, and he's young, and guys are comparing him to David Wright, and, and, and everybody loves James So Like, you could still achieve the same effect and get paid by just crushing high school competition. But I think it's a credit to him. It's like, well, I know I'm going to crush this high school competition, so I'm going to go to, like, you know, arguably the best junior college program in the country and see what I can do. <laughs> and then that's not enough. So, you know what, I'll go play a couple weeks in the Cape, against some dudes who are four and five years older than me in some cases and see what I can do there. Um, so, yeah, it's I, – I don't think it'll be a trend necessarily. Just like the kid, uh, Brandon Barriera, who I mentioned with Logic Green, the high school pitcher from Florida, who shut himself down in April rather than risk injury. I, I don't think that's going to be a trend either. I like, you, you may have these outliers who do stuff like that. You know, just like Carter Stewart going to Japan, you know, I think – ESPN or somebody's like, oh, this could be the new trend. Well, Carter Stewart's not pitching that well in Japan. He's not going to command a bunch of money when he comes back, and I haven't seen any other draft guys clamoring to go to Japan when they're 18 years old. So um, I, I think I think Cam Collier is just an outlier, and I think he had a big league dad, and I just think they were looking for a, another challenge. Wait, wait, my hat's off to him. I, it's, it's, unbelie- like, it's unbelievable that you would do that. Like, like I said, you've got Bryce Harper, and you have Cam Collier, and And then he goes to the Cape Codley, too. That's pretty impressive.
2: All right, we're going to take a quick uh, break and, and get some messages from our sponsors. And then I'll ask Jim about a couple more of my favorite hitters in the class.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash wire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash wire. spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash wire. Rules and restrictions apply.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in.
2: All right, we are back with Jim Callis of MLB Pipeline. Uh, Jim, I'm a pretty big fan of uh, Jet Williams, uh, the prep hitter from Texas, and you and every
1: scout I've ever talked to, James, (laughs) has seen him.
2: And and I also like Drew Gilbert uh, from Tennessee. And the reason I'm kind of lumping them together is because they're both, you know, five foot eight, five foot nine, uh, respectively. Uh, Do you get the sense that there are? that's being held against them at all, or are teams very willing to take guys that are that size uh, in the first? round? I mean, I think it he gets held against say jet in the
1: sense he's listed at 58 and where he's six feet tall. Like, I think we'd be talking about jet Williams, maybe going in the 10 to 15 range instead of like 15 to 25, but everybody really likes the way he uh, thinks he can hit. You know, I think the question is when you're that small is how are you going to hold up over 162 games? Like, you know, just athletically, durability-wise. Um, but guys love Jet. They love his makeup. They, they love his bat. I think he's going to go really good. I mean, he might even go – he could sneak – he could maybe go 14 to the Mets. Um, you know, Drew Gilbert, same thing. Like, Drew Gilbert had a really nice season at, at Tennessee. Um, you know, not the biggest guy in the world. You know, it's interesting who goes first, him or his teammate, Jordan Beck, who's another outfielder. And Jordan's kind of your classic. He gets compared to Hunter Ren for a lot. Beck does. You're strapping, you know, big physical, athletic outfielder. You know, the one thing, I and mean, guys like Gilbert, the one thing I, I think with him, I, I the way I, more than his size, I have teams like that. did to play under control a little bit more. He was kind of out of control in the super regionals. Got ejected, made a terrible base running mistake when they were losing in the game. They got eliminated in. He's pretty volatile, and guys are just like, look, we like guys who play with emotion, but that guy needs to tone it down a notch. Um, I think I hear that a lot more than I hear worries about him being five foot nine. Also, but again, I mean, like I was saying with Jed about holding up, if you're gonna play. I guess to put it kind of over the top emotion, 162 games a year, you're going to wear yourself out, especially when you're not a big physical guy. But I, I think Joe Williams will definitely go in the first round and drew Gilbert to like 20 to 40. Um, I don't think people are too worried about their size.
2: Yeah. That's what you're saying about Gilbert. I, I have sort of got almost a, uh... Like Tommy Fam type of vibes from him, and I've heard uh, a Lenny Dykstra uh, kind of comp in terms of just sort of playing with his hair on fire, uh, that type of stuff. So yeah, I mean it,
1: that, that's a good trait, but it's just like I don't mean to pick on a Drew Gilbert, but I, I knew a new number 2 system. assistant—you can't when you're in a super regional game yeah. scream expletives while looking at the umpire, and he can see what you're doing, and everybody in the crowd knows what you're doing, and then you're astonished you get tossed, mm-hmm. which comes with a one-game mandatory suspension. In a best-of-three series, you can't do that. Like, that's out of control. And then, like, it wasn't the reason they lost, but they were down three or four runs to, to Notre Dame in the, in the final game of that Super Regional. He was on first, and the ball got away in the dirt a little bit from Notre Dame's catcher. And, and that's it. we all know. And, look, I'm not claiming, like, I'm Mr. Baseball. I would never make a mistake on the diamond. But you're down by four. You're not the tying run. You better make sure that you that, that, that's, you're no shot you're getting thrown out and he got thrown out. I think it was the ninth inning. You you just can't do that. And I, I had I did have a number of teams bring up to me, like Drew Gilbert, but like that was not a good display in the Notre Dame series.
2: Yeah, no, I mean that that stuff does matter uh for sure. Um So that's definitely good to to kind of point out. Um With Jet, I I apologize if I missed you saying that, but with Jet, do you do you think he's a shortstop or center fielder? <sighs> Maybe. Like, like you could go either way. Like, he, he had an injury last year on the showcase circuit, so he wasn't
1: throwing well. And I think guys doubted it. And it's funny because, like, the spring when I've asked guys, they're like, ah, he might have to move to center. And I'm like, well, you know, I always ask, is it, you know, what is it? Is it not good actions or hands? Is it not enough arms? Not, he's definitely quick enough. I think the arms more average than plus. So that would probably be the, the biggest detriment. But I think he's got a shot. So I, I think definitely it'll be one of those whoever takes him we'll run him out there at shortstop for, you know, the first year and a half of his career and then, and then figure out, but I I could also see him at second base too.
2: Okay. Let's get to the pitching. Uh, (laughs) There's a reason
1: we've waited this long to talk about the pitchers.
2: You know, initially when I, when I first started kind of getting into this class, I, I wasn't excited about uh, getting into the pitching. And then, you know, there are guys with pretty obvious upside. It's just that they all come with so much risk. Um, who, who are the candidates to be the first pitcher selected? and what's the earliest you could see the first pitcher coming off the board here?
1: Yeah, it's just been a, a, a strange year because we've had st- at least six college, sorry if you don't know if you can hear the dogs going nuts in the background. I don't know if we have an Amazon delivery or something going on. but um, you know we had six college pitchers who were potential first round picks who either had Tommy John surgery before the season or once the season started. And then you had Dylan Lesko, who was the best high school pitcher and the clear favorite at one point to be the first high school – or first pitcher of any sort taken. And he had Tommy John surgery. And you also had Cole Phillips, high school kid in Texas, throw 101, 100 miles an hour. Everybody's all excited. And he had Tommy John surgery. So it's just been decimated. I think the consensus best healthy – best completely healthy pitching prospect is – is Brock Porter, a high school kid from Michigan. Now, the industry doesn't love taking high school right-handers high in the draft. I feel like he could maybe go 9 or 10 to Kansas City or Colorado. I think it's more realistic. He goes in that 11 to 14 range to the Mets, Tigers, Angels, and then the Mets pick again at 14. Um, but you never know with high school pitchers. They can slide a little bit sometimes. And you know the way the draft works, you might – like. I don't think he's going to slide in the twenties, but like somebody who might slide in the twenties, you might get paid more in the thirties by a team with multiple picks and a higher bonus pool. Then you're going to get it, at like say, pick, you know, 21 or something. Um, so I think Brock Porter is the leading candidate to, to be the first pitcher taken. I, I think the first team that everybody thinks is definitely taking a pitcher is the angels at 13 after they took 20 pitchers last year. And it's, you know, and I, and I think it's a combination of things. I think, you know, we talked about all those hitters, and I think almost all of them are going to go. You know, the other guy we didn't mention was um, was Susac at Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, real quick with here, He's an offensive-minded catcher, better defensively than Kevin Prada. We, I, I totally slowly. Daniel Susak slipped my mind, but we, we should include in that group. But I, I think almost all that group of hitters we talked about are going to be gone by the time pick 13 rolls around. And I do think the Angels want a pitcher. Um, and I don't know if they pay full freight for a pitcher. I hear Cooper Jerpy's name there a lot. He's an Oregon State lefty. It's kind of an unconventional look. But the fastball is a great carry. He led Division One in strikeouts. Like He's got all the advanced metrics on the fastball, like the induced vertical and, and the spin and all that that you like to see. Um, so like I could see there's a scenario where Cooper Jerpy maybe goes 13. And then the, the wild card is Connor Prelip, who, had, who would have been a candidate to be a number one overall pick perhaps. Um, had a great freshman year. Granted, it was four starts because of COVID. Got hurt in his first start last year. Had Tommy John surgery May 2021, and he didn't pitch this season. He threw a bullpen before the SEC tournament in late May, and he threw a bullpen at the draft combine, and that's been it. It's kind of the Cal Quantrill path when Quantrill went eighth overall in the draft after not pitching, coming back for Tommy John. But Cal Quantrill had had a full freshman season, whereas Prelip had a COVID-reduced freshman season. But anyway, Prelip you know, has, I think, the best slider in the draft, and he's thrown. The nice thing is his Tommy John's behind him. He threw these bullpens. If you sign him, he's ready to go out and do whatever as compared to some of these other guys who had Tommy John this year, who you're not going to get back till next year. And I think pre has got the best slider in the draft. He, you know, 92, 95. He's always thrown. Well, I say he's always thrown strikes in his 30 innings of college baseball career history. Do um, you hear his name a little bit with the Cubs at seven, with the twins at eight? So maybe he, you know, makes a, a nice closing rush and, and sneaks past those other guys. But, you know, prelib could be the first pitcher taken. Those would be my three best bets to be the first pitcher taken, I think.
2: Yeah, the, the whole – all these guys, you know, either coming back from Tommy John or just having had Tommy John, um, have you gotten a sense, you know, from teams – like in terms of are, are there certain teams that are just still kind of very wary of, of going that route? Are there teams that, you know, think of it as almost uh, an opportunity to, to buy low on a guy they really like? Is is it just kind of all over the map from a, a team standpoint? I'm taking these guys that are that are injured right now.
1: I think it varies from team to team, James, but it's more the second. Like like the track record guys coming back from Tommy John versus shoulders, pretty good. And you can look at recent like Walker Bueller. Mm-hmm. When he went in the first round, everybody knew he needed Tommy John. Lucas Giolito, when he went in the first round, everybody knew he needed Tommy John. Guys generally come back, you know. Now it's not a guarantee because Brady Aiken went in the first round after having Tommy John, and he's probably never going to pitch in big leagues. Um, He didn't bounce back. Um, But yeah, I think most teams feel like you know guys are going to come back from it. But it's just it's crazy. I mean, I've written this week at our site it's the most confusing pitching draft ever with all these injuries and trying to figure out who's going to, who might go where, like we might see. There might not be a pitcher taking the first 12 picks, which has never happened in the history of the draft. We might see, I don't know, 24 hitters taken out of 31st round picks. Um, It's just tough. And then it's even funny. So like you have you like the separate subgroup of guys who were hurt, but have come back. Yeah. I mentioned Connor prelip. You've got Kate Horton, who was a big time dude in high school went to Oklahoma to play both ways and maybe play quarterback. And he got hurt. He had Tommy John before he threw his first college pitch. So he, he missed all of last season. And he came back as a, an infielder initially this year, started pitching at the end of March, had like a 7-8-4 ERA in the regular season. And before the Big 12 tournament, he's trying to add a cutter. And that didn't work, but it led to this like eureka moment with his slider. Now he's got one of the best sliders in the draft, and he was unbelievable in five postseason starts. Oklahoma almost won the national championship in large part because of Kate Horton. And then you have Kumar Rocker, who was the 10th overall pick in last year's draft, one of the most acclaimed pitchers in NCAA history. He does a post-draft physical with the Mets, who had agreed to sign him for $6 million. They don't like what they see. They reduce their bonus offer to $0, just a formality so they could get, the 11th pick this year's compensation and his medical rep- records came out recently. I was revealed he had shoulder surgery last September and I don't want to get into too many specifics, but I have talked to a number of teams about his medical records and there's still some risk with Kumar rocker. It's, it's not, I know there was a quote in an ESPN story from his advisor saying, basically minor scope. We're all good. He's pitching great. I think teams are a little bit more cautious than that. Um, And he threw well in abbreviated stints in independent ball. So anyway, you have these three guys. So these guys are back, but they still have questions about them. And it's funny. I could talk to three different teams and like, like are these guys going before you? Like I'll talk to teams in the middle or even end of the first round. These guys going before you. And I get different answers. Oh, I think this guy could go in the top 10. This guy I wouldn't touch. This guy's going after us. And I'll talk to another team and they'll give me a completely different perspective on all three pitchers. There's no consensus on where those three guys should go in the draft. I would think Prelip goes first. I would take Horton first or second, but he's, he's only in his second year in Oklahoma. He's got a lot of eligibility remaining and there may be a high price tag involved there, which makes it a little difficult. Like he may, he may want a certain amount of money and then, you know, rocker, but like on any of those guys, if you told me any of those guys went in the top 10 or any of them went in the second round, it's, it's all in play. Like, I, I don't know what to make of any of those guys.
2: Yeah. I like, I like the way that you phrased it as the most confusing uh, pitching class ever because it's... it's not
1: even close. Like, like, I, I mean, we, we literally like, I, I get Even if we take pre-lip out, Cause he's back throwing bullpens. There's six dudes who had Tommy John surgery, who would have been f- first round picks who who had Tommy John surgery since last offseason started. started. Um, you know, not to mention those three guys I just mentioned, not to mention Carson Wisnant, who still, I guess could be the, I don't think he will because Jerpy will go ahead of him, but Carson Wisnant was the top college lefty top healthy college lefty coming into the year. And he got a season long suspension for PDs, which, you know, he says he just bought an over-the-counter supplement. Who knows? But he got a full-season NCAA suspension, and you got to watch him pitch a couple times in the Cape Cod League. But you're trying to figure out, okay, what do I make of this? I didn't get to see him all year, either. Like it's 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 just crazy.
2: You know the 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 guy that almost comes with the fewest questions to me is you mentioned earlier, uh, Brandon Barriera. Like I I just I love well well okay go yes,
1: on. but teams are I think teams. Want to know What does it mean? Like, you shut yourself down Like, I, I think teams have grilled him pretty hard Like, like I, I'm not knocking his decision But, if I were a team I would ask this, my new teams have asked this Like, what does it say about the kid That rather than going out there and trying to win And compete and be with, you know, win a title With his, you know, friends on the team He's like, hey, it's, it's all about me I'm shutting it down So, like, there are some teams that have Questions about that, whether that's fair or unfair So it's, it's, it, 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 there are no easy answers in this draft. Brock Porter is easy. Like, he's, he's a high school righty and Barrier is a lefty. So, like, Brock Porter, you know, outside of being a high school righty, like, well, you've Brock Porter, you could, you could quibble and say, like, he pitches in a league where the game, every, every batter starts with a one, one count. So, like, what does that mean? Um, you know, when you got, when you can touch 100 and you've got a filthy changeup and a card slider and guys already started that bat with one strike against them. What does that mean? But he's he's really good. But yeah, I just the Barriera, If if, you, if you're if you're leery of all these injuries, and you're afraid of high school right-handers, I didn't mean to cut you off before. But yeah, you could argue that Barriera maybe maybe that that leads you down that path.
2: Well, Brock Porter is kind of the exception that proves the rule. If if we're talking about a 19-year-old prep righty as the safest guy in you know in the class, like. It's hard. Yeah, it's just that's what the draft is. And, like, even with the left, you you got Barriera
1: on the high school side. You got Robbie Snelling from Nevada. You've got um, Jackson Ferris, who's also from Florida. Like, I could see those guys going, like a couple of those guys going in the teens. But I also could see getting to a point where then maybe it makes more sense. You try to push – if I'm a team with a big pool, I try to push Barriera into the 30s and scare the teams off in the 20s with smaller signing – you know, signing – pools and smaller, you know, pick allotments for their top pick. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's not impossible. Barriere could be the, like, I guess there's a scenario where maybe the angels take Barriere at 13 and he's the first pitcher taken.
2: So I, I want to ask about a couple guys uh, just in terms of their repertoires. Um, you mentioned uh, Cooper Jerpey, uh the fastball uh, has the, the great traits, uh, but, you know, side armor and uh, I don't think any of his secondaries uh, get much faster than 80 miles an hour. And then uh, Landon Sims, who has the monster fastball slider combo and kind of a big uh TBD on on the changeup. Um, do you have anything to add in terms of uh, where you see the the changeup for Sims and the secondaries for Jerpy going?
1: Yeah, I mean, Jerpy's got like one of those like low slot kind of sweeping slurve, like not a not a bad slurve, but a good slurve, <laughs> like the the positive connotation slurve type of things. But it's not your traditional, you know, over the top, you know, overhand curveball or you know, I think you, if you like it, you could put a 55 on it. Um, but it's not, I, I don't think it's a plus breaking ball necessarily. And then Sims is funny. So, yeah, you know, Sims has you know great fastball, great slider, and he had Tommy John. So, we got to see him for two and part of a third start this year. And so, I remember when we were doing stuff in the fall, like he didn't pitch in the fall. And I remember asking scouts about the same thing you just asked me like, how good's the change up? They're going to start him. And like, it was just all anecdotal because he didn't throw his reliever. And everybody's like, well, we, we talked about it and he has confidence in his changeup. So that was like in the fall, the report was Sims is confident in his changeup. Like he's going to throw it because like you did get to see him throw a fall ball. And um, <laughs> so I think it looks like I, 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 I don't have a pop. If I could pop up synergy, like he, he he threw two starts and got hurt in the third. So he probably threw, I don't know, 15 or so innings. So like maybe he threw fifteen change ups. So we we, we still it's all like anecdotal evidence on the change up. I I think I remember asking guys about I remember asking guys before we knew he was hurt after his first start, how do you look? And then when he got hurt, that was what I asked, like why'd you get to determine on the changeup, And I, I feel like they, they, they I feel like people feel it's viable, like like it's gonna be at least a viable changeup and he could start. Um, but again, his track record as a start was two starts and then he got hurt in this third. So we'll have to see, but yeah, it's, um, those are reasonable questions on both guys, I think.
2: So, uh, let's, let's finish things off here with just, uh, you mentioned Cade Horton as a potential signability risk. Are there, are there any other guys, any guys from the prep ranks where you could see a a surprise, uh, go to college type of guy or anything like that? Any, any high risk signability guys?
1: I'm just going to look down our list and like, I, I just heard that like Horton, you know, may want, upper half of the first round money um to sign um just scrolling down here because like when we line up our list it's based it's based purely on talent like the signability does not play in still scrolling down Bunch of college guys uh you know andrew Dukinich pulled out and he's going to vanderbilt i i don't know like i could see you know, may be one of the high school pitchers like like there's only so many high school pitchers who can get paid in the draft. So maybe like, well, I'll give you one. If if I had to bet, if I my best guess on the best player, not counting Andrew DeCanich, who's already pulled himself out of the draft. I'd say Noah Schultz, the, the Illinois high school lefty um, didn't pitch much this spring because of Mono. I think he pitched five or six innings. I know Twitter got super excited about him when he came his first two of the year when he touched 96. Like, Capan was really spotty. And I could could see him winding up at Vanderbilt. So he might be my best bet uh, of the top guys on our list who could, you know, he'd be the most likely candidate for me. Um, And then, like, my guess is, you know, as it gets closer, this is what's happened the last couple years. (coughs) Excuse me. We'll have some more guys pull out when they... Realize they aren't necessarily going to get you know, the, the bonus offer they wanted. They'll just pull out like the day of the draft. Or sometimes you see guys pull out after the first day when they don't go. This year, the first day is two rounds instead of one, like it's been the last couple of years. But if they don't go in the top two rounds, they're just like, okay, I'm out. Um, so we'll probably see more guys pull out as it gets closer.
2: I, I lied. I have one more question. Uh, no, that's fine. That's fine. On Kumar Rocker, could you see I – re- I really hope this doesn't happen, but could you see a team drafting him – and really kind of lowballing him kind of given that he just really doesn't have a ton of leverage here. Theoretically you could do that. Like, and I'm with you, like, I'm rooting for
1: Kumar rocker because I know he chose not to take a physical, which would have a pre-draft MRI last year. The rules are different. He chose not to do a pre-draft MRI. Had he done that, it would have guaranteed him 60% of his slot. So he would have been like, even though he agreed to six slot was like four, eight. So I think that comes out to about two, eight, two, nine, like the Mets would have had to offer him at least $2.9 million, or they would not have gotten this year's pick as compensation. And Kumar might not have taken it, but like the the, the rule that the union bargains, the draft, even though the draftees aren't a member of the union until they get Put on 40-man rosters, and it's just a terrible rule. The union should be ashamed of, of what that rule was last year, because it let like you take a post-draft physical, and like clearly there was something wrong with Kumar. The Mets didn't make it up. The Mets wanted to sign him, but the pre-draft physical is solely determined by the team's doctor. It's not like the doctor like like you, you get the physical and you're like we don't we disagree. We're gonna get a second opinion. Doesn't matter. It's just whatever. In that case, the Mets doctor thought was all that mattered. And then, like, with most pitchers, I think you could look at anybody's arm and be like, ah, oh, there's some wear and tear. We don't like it. So, anyway, rule's different this year. And anybody who is invited to the combine, who t- takes a complete physical, not just an MRI, hitters and pitchers, is guaranteed 75% of their slot. Now, Kumar did not – he was invited to the, to, the, to the combine, didn't attend. He was playing indie ball. You know, you, there's opportunity for people who would have had conflicts that they couldn't attend the combine could still do a physical. He did not take a physical. So once again, if whoever drafts Kumar does post draft physical and doesn't like what they see, all they have to do to get their pick, get the pick back next year's compensation is again, offer him $0. So yes, like from a cynical standpoint, I could take Kumar where I take, let's say I take him with the 25th pick in the draft, say Kumar, we're offering you a million dollars. You know, the slot there is more in the mid twos. We're offering you a million dollars. And if you don't like it, you can go back and play independent ball again next year and take your chances next year on the draft. Nobody's going to do that, though, because, one, nobody wants to bargain in that kind of bad faith with a player. Um, it just would set a horrible tone for the relationship to begin with. Um, I mean, this would be further down the line. Let's say Kumar Rocker becomes a star. Kumar Rocker might just say, you know, when he gets to free agency. Screw you like I'm gone. You guys totally abused me because you could. So like I'm not I'm not staying here. Plus <laughs> the X factor is his agent is Scott Boris. I don't think anybody's going to like when you look at all the good players that Scott represents both in the draft and in major league baseball that you are going to antagonize Scott Boris just to save, you know, a million, million and a half half dollars because you can on Kumar Rocker. Like that just seemed like, no, again, I do think a lot of Scott's guys, these big time free agents are going to go to whoever offers them the most money. But at the same time, I, I just don't know why, why you would risk angering Scott by screwing over Kumar Rocker just because you could, you know, just to flex your muscle. Hey, you've got no leverage, dude. We're, we're, you're going to just take what we give you. Uh, I, I don't think that would be received well by the Boris corporation. And that might affect your ability to land some of his players. Like I I know at the very least, if I were Kumar's agent and somebody did that to my client, I might just say, well, like, you know, in the future, when you want to meet with my player, when you want to, you know, do whatever, no, you, you, you've lost all access to my players going forward. 29 other teams can do what they want. Well, my dude will not be talking to you. My guys will never talk to you again. So, like, I it, that would be awful. And it would be a terrible, I mean, it, would, it would be a bad look for baseball and the team that did that to Kumar. So, but, but the good news, as you said, it, I, it, I cannot imagine that that would happen.
2: Yeah, really, really pulling for Kumar.
1: Um, I'm with you. He yeah. won't get six million, but like, that guy took the ball every time at Vanderbilt, won a lot of big games. Pitched on short rest. I'm not saying Vanderbilt ran him into the ground or anything, but he pitched on short rest, you know, multiple occasions, came up big, you know, gutted through some stuff last year. The rule w- was not a good rule, and he got burned. And And so I, I hope he comes out of it with at least a, a nice bonus this year and and stays healthy and, and becomes a star that a lot of people thought he was going
2: to become. Well, Jim, I really appreciate you being so generous with your time. Uh, before I let you go, is there anything you want to kind of plug that you guys got going on uh, before before draft night? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll throw in a couple quick plugs. Um, you
1: know, we're going to have all kinds of coverage on the draft, on the Futures game, on the High School All-America game, on the High School Home Run Derby, the All-Star game and stuff, of course, which I don't even think about because that's out of my arena. I, at MLB.com, we've got scouting reports and videos on the top 250 players in the draft. We've got more mocks coming. Um, and the nice thing about our site is everything's free. You know, we're obviously there to, you know, MLB.com is part of the, the goal is to promote the game of baseball. And um, all our stuff's free. So you can, you can check all that out, all the videos, all the scouting reports. It's all there for you. And then personally, I know. So Jonathan Mayo will broadcast the High School All-America game on Friday. And I hate to say this because I'm not involved with the game. I think it's on MLB Network, but I'm not sure on that one. I will be broadcasting the High School Home Run Derby Saturday morning on, on MLB Network. I'll be broadcasting the Futures game Saturday night on Peacock. And then I'll play again Sunday morning on MLB Network. And then Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, both Jonathan and I will be part of MLB Network's expansive draft coverage. So there's a lot going on in the next few days.
2: And Sunday, the draft coverage starts at uh, 7 Eastern, correct?
1: The draft starts at 7 Eastern. The, we usually do a pre-draft show that, for about an hour, just setting things up. And that'll start at 6 Eastern.
2: And then what? And it, oh, go
1: ahead. Uh, I'm sorry. What were you going to say?
2: What time does the coverage start on day two?
1: Day two and three, it's at two Eastern. I was going to say, I like I have this fear. I'm sure I'll get it figured out. But like like we, we, we talk about the times in terms of Eastern time for TV, but we're going to be on Pacific time in LA. And I live in Chicago, which is Central time. So things occasionally get goofed up when things get communicated to me in Eastern time, but they don't tell me it's Eastern time. I think it's Central time. So I have this great paranoia. You know, like honestly, I'm going to wake up late and realize, wait a minute, like, the draft's already begun, and I'm still in bed or something. But, uh, yeah, its uh, I, I, I have the Eastern Times memorized, and I will synchronize my watch properly when I get to L.A., hopefully.
2: Well, always love talking draft at the gym. Keep up the great work, and I'll be thanks. along with the coverage. Thanks for coming on.
1: Yeah, thanks, James. This is a lot of fun, uh, a lot of good questions. Uh, yeah, it, 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 it's, I think this is going to be one of the more unpredictable drafts
2: we've had recently, so it should be a lot of fun to see how it plays out. Absolutely. This has been the Rotowire Prospect Podcast. I'll be back next week to recap everything that happened with the draft.
4: Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time test to gift around. A watch she can wear every day from movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at movement is up to 50% off site wide during their Mother's Day sale.